Father, what a great last song to sing before we get into your word. I love the idea that, like, you are so good. Even in the midst when we don't understand what's going on, you are so good. What you have done and what you continue to do, God, you are so good. Father, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we love you. Father, I pray that you would take us deeper in intimacy with you as we dive into your word. I pray that you would give us teachable and humble hearts to receive truth. God, for those who are here and watching online, maybe they don't know you. They haven't surrendered to you. Holy Spirit, I pray, and I say this with love, and I know that you do it out of love, but for, God, for conviction of sin, that, Father, you would draw them to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would do incredible work far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine this morning. Father, may you be glorified. Jesus, may you be exalted. And Holy Spirit, may you be obviously present. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Whenever who agrees says, <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> hey, for the, for the past few weeks, we've focused on a couple topics. Um, for those that haven't been able to be part of it, um, I'm just going to run through them real quick. And you say, well, you're a pastor. You, you guys don't know what real quick is. I do sometimes. And on this part, I do. There's two key topics. The first one has been prayer. And I've been bringing that up a lot lately. And, I, and it's not just because I'm starting to just have this thing happening inside of me to want to move us toward prayer. But when you look at the scriptures and how often Paul talks about it, but especially when you look in the book of Acts. I mean, you imagine that followers of Jesus didn't all have their own copy of a quote-unquote Bible. They didn't have the scriptures that they all just had laying around, and yet we have many copies in our, in our, in our houses, but they had prayer. <clears throat> they were known as a, as, a, as a community of prayer. Even our, our memory verse, if you're part of the Bible reading plan for, uh, for our community, and this week's memory verse, <clears throat> it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the word devoted means they're continually devoting themselves to these things. It wasn't just a one-time thing, but continually devoting themselves to prayer. When we look at Paul and he says, we need to pray without ceasing. Three, three words in one verse, pray without ceasing. You suddenly go, that's a long time. But when all of a sudden you remember and realize, and it kind of hits you that God has invited you to talk to him about everything. He just wants us in constant communion with him. So the things that we're freaked out about, the things that are terrifying us, the things that are overwhelming us, as well as the things that we're happy about and the victories that we're experiencing, and you can tell him jokes, and he already knows the punchline, but I guarantee he'll still laugh if it's funny. But prayer, friends, is so important. And I feel like it's for a long time, and I've told you this, in my personal walk with Jesus, it's the spiritual discipline that's always been the hardest. And yet I'm finding it becoming more and more quote unquote normal to me. Just by engaging, just making a commitment. I wanna, I wanna grow in this, God. I wanna, I wanna improve in my communication with you, but I wanna see you do things that I never would have asked for before because I simply will ask now. <clears throat> so we've talked about prayer. We've also talked about being used to make disciples. And if you've been part of this church for a while, you know that that's something that kind of comes out a lot and it's gonna to continue to come out a lot because it's the one thing that Jesus said to do for all followers of Jesus to be engaged in the process of making disciples. It's one of the key things he said before he left the plan, before he ascended into the heavens, 
You see it in Matthew, he says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach those disciples to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And then he gives us this encouragement because it's such a tall order. He says, and by the way, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. It's so important for us to get it. Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, God Almighty says, I will be with you. So friends, we're unstoppable. You get to Acts chapter one, verse eight, and he tells his disciples, he says, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And I brought this up often and I'll continue to bring it up. Every time we look at that verse, that word for witness is the Greek word for martus and it's, it's, it's connecting the idea of witnesses and martyrs. It's actually the word for martyr. The followers of Christ, if we're really gonna engage in this process of going and making disciples, we're going to be witnesses of Jesus. It's not just witnesses of, oh, the blessed life or how, how all the principles, you apply the principles of Christianity and you get a better life. No, no, no. We're going to be witnesses of the resurrected Jesus so that people would come into relationship with him, be saved from sin and restored into relationship with God, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, and then for us to go and do works in the world that will impact people for what purpose? To love them because they're loved by God, absolutely. And ultimately to bring them into fellowship and relationship with God through Jesus. We're going to make disciples. It is not just the pastors. It's not like, hey, I need Brian to make sure I'll bring him on a Sunday, but you gotta give him the word. I'm supplemental to what you, you should be doing and what God wants to do in and through you throughout the week. I feel like that's an old model. And I don't even think it's a biblical model that it only happens on a Sunday when some dude preaches up front and that's when they'll hear. And I pray that God uses me and people come to Jesus, absolutely. But it should not be the one day a week that people hear about Jesus. Every single day, we should be asking God, is this the one? Who's the one? Who's the one? Who's the one you want me, who do you want me to impact? Who can I talk about Jesus? Is this the person? Because friends, we're all filled. If, you have a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus and have a relationship with God, you are filled with the same Holy Spirit that I am. And I might, have, I might have a different spiritual gift. I, I believe I have a spiritual gift to teach and I believe I have a spiritual gift to shepherd. I believe, I believe I have a spiritual gift to lead. But that's not like the only spiritual gifts that there are. And you say, well, that's pretty arrogant. I prefer to live in maybe these are what mine are and to live in those and then to encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, what are the spiritual gifts you have given to me? That I might be used to edify your body, but all of us have been called to the same mission to go and make disciples. And so those are the topics that we've been looking at the last couple weeks. And so let's read through those verses again. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we pray, and friends, we invite you to become prayer warriors. I invite you on Sunday mornings at 9.15 to join us in, in Mod 3, just that direction, for prayer. I invite you to pray during the worship gathering. I always covet people to pray for me when I'm preaching the message. I always covet that. I love that when I get people saying, hey, I prayed for you, I prayed for you. I'm like, thank God, because I want God to do something incredible and I can't do it by myself. But I want to invite us as a community to move into that. We're praying what does it look like to have worship and prayer nights in the future? 
where we come together for an extended amount of time to worship and pray, not really even for me to preach, but for us to just gather to pray as a community. And then for us to go make disciples, you may sit there and go, I don't know how to do that. <clears throat> like, I would love to, but it kind of freaks me out. And so can I just give you a couple points? And it's not do these two things and you'll win every single time. Has anyone ever experienced this? You try to bring Jesus up on a conversation and you did, I mean, you just killed it. I mean, you nailed it. And you're thinking, man, everyone else in this room is gonna get saved. Angels are descending to record this and to put it on heaven's Instagram or TikTok heaven style. And they're gonna, look, this is how you share the Lord. And then you're done. And the person just looks at you going, I ain't get it, I, I don't get it. You're like, are you kidding me? I just poured it, I, I poured it out. You don't, are you dumb? No, just, don't, don't go there, don't, because you're supposed to be seasoned with grace. Don't ask them that question, but it's like, you really went for it. And it didn't happen. And then this is what happens. I must not be good at it. And we got to remember, our job is to share about Jesus, and it's God's job to save. Salvation belongs to God. Parents or grandparents, put your hands up if you're, if you're awake enough. Okay, got it. If I asked you, hey, could you brag about your kid or your grandkid, would you sit there and go, what if I don't do it right? No, most of the time it's like, why don't you sit down? Now, and then old school, remember the old school, you used to have that wallet with all the pictures? And it comes out like this big old business card looking thing. Now it's all on the phone. You're just like, you want to see? And you're going through chapters of life. And the person who asked you to brag, they're just sitting there going, what did I do? God, I pray for the rapture. I pray for death. I pray that something would change because they are not stopping. I'm just looking at the kid's feet. Like, what are, why am I looking at pictures of feet? I don't get it. But think about it. If all that sharing Jesus is is just bragging about how incredible he is, just like we brag about our kids and our grandkids, what if it's always that? What if it's just that? What if we know the story of the gospel enough that we can just go, this is how great God is. Can I just tell you about him? I'm not just preaching to you. I'm reminding me I've said this before, friends, it's easy to be bold behind a table and behind a pulpit. I don't want to be a pastor who just, I don't want to be a Christian who's just a pastor and just bold behind a table. I want to be a follower of Jesus first. And so I pray the same thing that I've been praying for you on my prayer walks. God, I pray that you would give me boldness. Give me all boldness to proclaim your truth as you do signs and wonders. Not just from behind here, but God, who's the one you want me to impact this week? And so, I don't say this in bragging, it's just like when you start to ask, all of a sudden, God actually takes you seriously. So we had a person come in to fix a plug because the plug that was working, my small little air conditioning wasn't working and I tried everything and, uh, that I know how to do, which is not a lot. And so I did my best. So I bring in the person and I said, hey, what's your name? He goes, Emmanuel. I was like, Emmanuel? My God's name is Emmanuel. And all of a sudden, that look on his face like, oh no. <laughs> what did I do? <clears throat> And I said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? He goes, I'm a Catholic. He said, well, are you? I'm not, I didn't ask that. I said, are you a follower of Jesus? And I'm like, where is this coming from? He just wasn't, he wasn't very interested after that. I mean, I did my best. And, and then as he's going, I said, hey, can I pray for you about anything? He said, no. Okay, well, I guess that's it. And he walked out. He's like, I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm never trying that again. No, I didn't. I was like, well, I did what I could. I called Southern California Edison to call off to see if they could lower my bill. Not for any reason. I just wanted to see if they would do it. I didn't, I didn't care if there was a program. I'm like, man, this is getting really expensive. So I just said, hey, uh, my name is Brian. What's your name? She goes, my name is Trinity. I'm like, oh, that's after my God. 
my God is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you, were you named after my God? Which sounds a little weird, but I'm like, well, I don't see your face, so I'm a little bit more bold right now. But then I thought, what if you shut off my power? So maybe I should have pulled back a little bit. Trinity, is there anything I can pray for you about? Guys, it's just weird. I don't want to be the person just behind the pulpit. But I'm not good at this. Like, I'm not always bold. That's why I have to ask, what if we all did that this week? Every one of us. God, would you give me boldness? So I can't, I don't know that I've got the, here's the, the sure proof way. Like, this is how it's going to work. If you do these four things, every single person will come to Christ. That's not going to happen. But let me give you a couple principles as you jump in. I just want to encourage you, do not give up. The first is this, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Like this is community. We're all in this together. So Colossians chapter four, verses seven to nine, it says this, Tychicus, which is a solid name, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Friends, you know what we know about Tychicus? Hardly anything. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, as a person who went with Paul to Jerusalem to help the Christians who were in need there. They were taking funds from other Christians and other churches and other areas. They were bringing it to Jerusalem. And Tychicus was one of the people helping Paul to distribute to, 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 distribute to those who were in need. After that, I mean, other than this, and it's, it's like, wow, I don't know if it's, it's okay to say this. Paul refers to him in Acts chapter 20 as one of the Asians. And I thought, let's change that a little bit. So he's from Asia Minor. That's all we know. Like, we don't know anything else about Tychicus. And yet Paul mentions him. And think about it. For the last 2,000 years, we've been talking about this guy. He said, well, I haven't been talking. Every time you read this verse, we're talking about a guy we don't know, we don't know anything about except what Paul says about him. And I love what Paul says about him. Before we jump to that, Onesimus, his name means useful. We know about him is that he was a runaway slave from Colossae, ran away, found Paul while Paul was in prison. prison or Paul led him to know Christ. And so Onesimus surrendered his life to Christ. And then Paul said to Onesimus, you need to go back. You need to go back to Philemon, who is his, quote unquote, his master. And then Paul writes this letter for him saying, to Philemon, his master, saying, I need you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. He's calling him out and saying, hey, this, what's been going on? No, that's not the way that's supposed to be. This whole following Jesus changes everything. He's not slave, he's brother. For those that sit there go, I just don't know if I can have an impact. I feel so close. I wish I could be doing more. And Paul's sitting in prison. He's in prison and he's impacting who? All of us, a couple thousand years after he wrote the letters. But this is all that we know about Onesimus. But it's also possible, nobody knows if this is true, but the very beginning part of the second century, the bishop of the Ephesian church, so the, the, the pastor, the, the leader of the, of the Ephesian church, guess what his name was? Onesimus. It's possible that this used to be person who was a slave, who then became a brother because a person came to know Jesus, was accepted into the family of God, then became a leader of God's people, a shepherd of God's people. This is really all that we know. So here's Tychicus. This is how Paul describes him. First thing he says, he's a beloved brother. 
He's willing to stay with Paul during the tough times, and it was a risk in that day to, to befriend anyone who was in prison. And yet he stayed with them. And followers of Jesus, this, this should be a reminder to us Guys, we're not just Christians who come together on a Sunday and we get together throughout the week in a home church and maybe in a discipleship group if you're just Christians getting together. Guys, followers of Christ, we're family. Like we're stuck with one another forever. I don't know if that makes you feel excited or a little bummed out, depending on who you're sitting next to, but that's what it is. This is family. Guys, I'm convinced that we are more family. What Jesus does in the life of a person, the unifying of Christians by the Holy Spirit, I believe is more family than just bloodlines that we experience on the planet. Friends, we are brothers and sisters. That's why I've said it often and I'll continue to say it. I know it sounds a little bit weird, but how often you'll get a text from me and I'll just say, hey, how you doing, bro? You're like, bro? It's like, sis, and I'm like, I don't know if I like that. That seems weird. I know sometimes and sometimes I'm trying to get myself away from only doing that, but it's like, I want us to make sure that we remember we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe even take off that last phrase for just a second. We're brothers and sisters because of Jesus. Doesn't matter the background, doesn't matter where you grew up or what life was like before, and if you hated God or loved God before, but when you came to Christ, you surrendered to him as Lord, received his salvation, you entered into a family. And it's not supposed to be the most dysfunctional family on the planet. Even though it sure seems that way at times, does it not? But friends, I'm, I've made this commitment to Jesus and I'm gonna continue to make it to you. I will do everything that I can by the power of God, by his grace to make sure, man, we're gonna move forward as a family. Whatever we can do to be family, to care for each other's needs, to play with each other, just to have a blast together. When we have disagreements, to actually work through them, talk about them rather than just ditch a community to go to the next one. We're going to be a family. He says, hey, Tychicus, he's a, he's a beloved brother. And the next thing he says is this faithful minister. I like this phrase. I read it somewhere. He said, Paul was saying you could see his beloved brother's love in action. Guys, it's one thing to say the words that you love somebody, but when you see love in action, and not just like love to get something out of the person, but self-sacrificial love for someone else. I get nothing in return. Friends, that makes an impact. I sent out an email this week to help a guy named Matt. Had a heart attack. He's a single dad. And I knew that when I sent it out, I'm just gonna get a ton of people coming. I was like, well, let's just, let's just spoil them. Let's spoil them. And I'm getting people going, hey, you wanted us to tell you that we're gonna do something. And I'm, there's probably six or seven or eight of you that have already said, hey, we're, we're gonna do groceries. And I thought, we probably should space this out a little bit. Can you imagine it's like 22 gallons of milk? Bam, there you go. Why I was so blessed? Because I thought, this looks like Acts. Because all they did, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They worshiped together. They hung out together. They took care of each other. That's it. And I just thought, God, thank you. I know when I throw it, there's a need that this community will do it because we're family. And that word faithful means dependable, <clears throat> that people will come through. And then he says this last one, a fellow servant I like the fact that he says fellow because it wasn't like Paul saying, but I'm an apostle and then they are the servants. 
Like today, it, it, often, it, it can often come across this way, that at churches, at least in the last many, many decades, you want to be on a specific board because then there's a little bit of power. And wait, you're an elder and you're a deacon. And do you know what you guys do? I don't have a clue what we do, but elder and deacon. And we got all these titles and you're a pastor, but you're a lay person. I'm like, where do we get the idea of a lay person that is below the pastor? And I'm like, I don't get it. Why is there such a hierarchy? What I love is that Paul says, he is a fellow worker. In other words, I work with him and he works with me because we have one boss and the boss is Jesus. And there may be responsibility that's given to people in specific roles. I understand that. But again, I don't want to be a pastor first. I want to be a fellow servant with you before a pastor who leads and shepherds and cares for you. We're in this together Paul likes this phrase, servant of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of, Christ and, um, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He took great pride in knowing that I'm a servant of Christ. In other words, God, whatever you want, is what I'm going to do. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And then you get to Onesimus. And he says, he's our faithful and beloved brother. That first word, our. And here's why I think he's very strategic. <clears throat> I think what he's trying to do is, hey, you've known Onesimus in a specific way. You've known Onesimus as a slave. Isn't it amazing? Look at it. And I just, I've never seen this before. And I hope I'm not reading it. I'm hoping I'm not reading into anything. I don't want to create a narrative out of taking the scripture and trying, trying to twist it. But I do want to observe it. Isn't, that when he, isn't it incredible that when he looks at Tychicus, he says a faithful minister. Another word for minister is servant. A, fe, a fellow servant. That word servant is also translated as slave. But then when you get to Onesimus, who has been living the life of a slave, he doesn't call him those things. He says, he's our faithful and beloved what? Brother. Guys, I think that's on purpose. I think Paul is trying to get their attention. Stop looking at him like he used to be. And start receiving him as a brother. Yes, I know his past. I know what everyone else sees in him, but we don't. He's ours. He's with us. He's our faithful and beloved brother. He gives these titles and the description of, the, of these two guys. And it made me start asking this question, who, are, who am I? Or for, who are you? So it comes to this idea of identity. Do you know your identity? Follower of Jesus, how would you describe yourself? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and I said, hey, who are you? What would you say? Guys, uh, gentlemen that are a little older. Remember when you played sports in high school? Man, I played ball. Played it hard. Tried out at a high school of 400 kids. Made it. I think there was like, I don't know, 15 kids that tried out and we all made it. Just to kind of put some context there so you know. And I was like 6'3", but I was only about a buck 65, so pretty much not. And the same size head. Think of that. 
Thank you. That's great. That's why I stayed single. I appreciate that. Yvonne, that was wonderful. I think you laughed harder at that than anything I've said this morning. That hurts my heart. <laughs> and then you leave, you graduate high school. I'm not good enough to play in college. And then you join what? Church league. Oh, relive the glory days. I finally could dunk my senior year, never in a game, but I finally decided dunked. I remember in warm-ups, I'm like dunked, and then the ref comes over and gives me a T in warm-ups. And just like Jesus, I just went off on him, not hard, but just like, why'd you give me a T? You can't dunk in warm-ups. I'm like, well, that's not fair. I can dunk. But it's kind of like, but no one else here can because all of our knees hurt. I'm like, well, that's your fault. And now I'm one of those guys. Like I get up, I've said it, I get up and like grunt. My knees are a little bit sore. My hip, like why is this hip work? Why does it hurt when I'm just walking? I don't understand this. Getting older sucks. You try to relive the glory days, but what if all of a sudden I said, hey, if you ask me, hey, who are you? I'm a basketball player. <laughs> Guys, I hardly play basketball anymore. But that's who, my, that's who my identity was in high school, but if it's still my identity now and I don't play it, what about you when your identity is wrapped in what it is that you do and when you don't get to do those things anymore, who are you? So if all of a sudden my whole life is wrapped in my identity as pastor, it's shepherd, that's all it is, but when God says no more, you're done. If I don't know my identity, that means when I stop doing that which defines me, I don't know who I am. Someone says, is it really all that important? Guys, I think it is. As followers of Jesus especially, we need to know who we are. Believe it or not, take a look at this video real quick.
Friends, I think it's important that we know our identity in Christ because then all of a sudden we experience something called freedom. That the things that we do now is not so that I can be forgiven, but because I am. That I am dearly loved. You sit there and go, that's arrogant. No, I'm not. I'm dearly loved. I'm, I'm, I'm as beloved to the Father as Jesus is because I'm in Christ. The way that God loves Jesus is the way that he loves me. It's the way that he loves us. Then maybe, maybe for some, you look at your past, and every time you think of your past, just such regret, such pain. Oh, I wish I had never. Oh, I wish I had. I love that all we know about Tychicus, he's a beloved brother. He's a faithful servant, faithful minister. Brian, if you knew my past, that's the joy of it. I don't need to know your past. If you know what I was doing right now, I don't need to know. God does, and the invitation is still the same. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the first thing, don't go it alone. The second, just do your part. Just do your part. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's your responsibility. Every follower of Jesus, it's your job. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wait, I'm, I thought I'm not supposed to work for my salvation. It doesn't say work for, you, for it. It says work it out. Figure things out. There's a lot of depth to this thing called salvation. There's a lot of depth to this thing called knowing God. There's a lot of depth in the scriptures. And he's saying, you gotta work out. What does it look like? How do you play it out? How do you understand things better? Work it out. You, and I'll come along and help. And others will come along beside you and help. And you'll come along others and help. But work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Friends, that word to, to will is also the word to, is to desire. That God works in you to desire to do the things that God wants you to do. He'll change us. He'll change us into what it, who he wants us to be and what he calls us to do. Ver, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Workmanship, that's identity. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. We're saved in right standing with God for good works. I'm not defined by the good works. I just get to do them because I know who I am. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You say, well, how do you get this? Do your part out of Tychicus and Onesimus. It doesn't say anything that they did. But friends, we do know this. We do know that Tychicus, he did his part. Paul finished writing some letters while he's in prison and Paul says, Tychicus, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to take this letter and I need you to take it to the Christians in Ephesus. I need you to take this letter and I need you to take it to the Christians in Colossae. And then there's this letter that I want you to take to the church in Laodicea. And when you get to Laodicea, make sure they know, hey, when Colossian Christians are done with the letters, swap the letters and let them read each other's. But I need you to do this because I can't go. Will you send this letter to the church in Ephesus? Absolutely. Church of Colossae, absolutely. He did his part. And I personally have been impacted because he did his part. We, as followers of Jesus, have been impacted because all he did was put the letter into a satchel and walk and give it. Let him read it. And they've been reading it ever since. We've been reading it ever since. Onesimus took his own letter back to Philemon. Paul said, I wrote him a letter. 
Let, I'm sure he let him read it. He's like, oh, I like this one. I want you to take it back. Can you imagine as Philemon receive him as a brother? Looks at Onesimus and everything changed. Onesimus did his part. Tychicus did his part. Paul did his part. In John chapter 2, a long time ago, I was sitting in a college Bible study. I was leading it. <clears throat> and I just started asking questions. And man, they taught more to me than I did to them. Like the things they were bringing out, I thought, man, I'm going to write about this. And so I did. I wrote a book. I just never published it. It's still sitting there on my computer. And one day, I'm going to have Amazon self-publish it. But I'm going to do it at some point when I get around to it. But it blew my mind because you get to John chapter 2. It's Jesus' first miracle. And they ran out of wine. People are like, oh, they ran out of wine. He's at a wedding. It wasn't just like him, and the, it wasn't like him and the disciples going, we need more wine. It wasn't like that. So they're at a wedding, having a celebration. Then, then Mary comes over. Jesus' mama says, they ran out of wine. And he says, woman. Which you don't, ever, don't call your mom that. But it's like, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And Mary ignores what he says, looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he says. So Jesus knows what it feels like to be volunteered by his mom, just like all the rest of us know what it feels like to be volunteered by our mom. The service looker, he just says this, hey, you see those six, those six stone jars that are used for purification rites? I want you to fill all of them up to the brim. I just want you to fill them up with water. Do you imagine the servants as they're sitting there going, okay, that's what, the problem, there's no more wine. This fixes nothing. Isn't it amazing how quick we might get when God calls us to do something, you can sit there and go, it's not going to change anything. This is the problem. And God goes, I know the problem, but I actually know what the true solution is. And so it says that the servants went and filled all of them, about 180 gallons worth of water. Guys, it's not like they just walked over to the hose and turned it on, just waited. Guys, I'm pretty sure the only way to get water in that day is you got to take the jars out to what's called the well. Can you imagine just... If you have a gallon bucket, 180 times of doing this, nobody cares. They're all in there having the party. You're on the outside of the party just filling some jars. This is it. This is boring. Nobody takes pictures of this. They're not, they're, wow, look at the wrist action when he's dumping the water into the big, wow, take a picture, selfie. Oh, this is amazing. Nobody cares. Nobody even noticed this was going on. They, they bring it back in. Jesus takes a cup full and he gives it to the, one of the servants and says, go give it to the master ceremonies. And it says, the Bible says this, they, they, all the servants went, they went. I'm like, how many people does it take to take one cup over? But I think it's like this. This is gonna, this fixes nothing. This all looks stupid together. And so they all go over. To, and then the master servant takes the drink and it's like the best wine he's ever had. I mean, it's Jesus, it's moonshiner. I'm just joking. It's not, it's not, but he knows how to make wine. And one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know why I love that? God did the miraculous because some unnamed servants filled some jars. Guys, every single one of us can fill jars. We can all do this. We always think it has to be something massive. I could never do that. Can you do this? Just do your part. Do what it is that God has called you to do. And if we're all doing that, guys, I'm pretty sure we will see the exact same things that 
God does in the books, in the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, just do your part. As we close, the worship team can come back up. I wrote this in my notes. I said, what we do for Christ should always stem from who we are in Christ. What we do for Christ should always stem from who we are in Christ. Guys, can you imagine if it flipped? If I said, if I said something like, um, like who I am in Christ should always stem from what I do for Christ. Can you see how dangerous that is? That means that who I am is based upon whether or not I succeed and how much I get done every day. But friends, there's no freedom and it's not even truly worship. It's just, I wanna make sure he's not ticked. But if I say what we do for Christ should always stem from who we are in Christ. There's an author named Neil Anderson. He writes mostly on spiritual warfare. Wrote a book called Victory Over the Darkness and three categories. He says this, he says, I'm accepted. And these all have scripture backings and so if you, and this isn't even all, but he wanted to write up, hey, this is who we are. This is our identity. And so if you want them, please message me through the connect card or if you have my email or text, text me something. I'll make sure I get this PDF to you. He says, I'm accepted. And then he goes on, he says, I'm God's child. I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. I've been justified. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. He goes from that point, he says, I'm secure. He says, I'm free from condemnation. Oh, goodness. Isn't that the one that you want to hear? You're no longer condemned. Follower of Christ, you're free. You're forgiven. Even the things you haven't even done yet. Forgiven, you're in Christ. You're his. Therefore, because you're his, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. I'm free from condemnation. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. The next section, he says, I am significant. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I'm God's temple. I'm a minister of a reconciliation for God. I'm seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. I'm God's workmanship. I I may approach God with freedom and confidence, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of a sudden, we start to believe these things. Instead of, I can't, but I can't, and I didn't, and I failed there, and I wish I did more, and constantly going, would you listen to me? That in Christ, because you surrendered to Jesus, you're free, you're forgiven, you're adored, you're the beloved son or daughter of the king. Does he love you? Guys, the cross is God exclaiming and proclaiming that he loves you. He took the cross, he took the wrath of God for you. What else could he do to prove to you that he loves you? Guys, when we start living in this, Guys, when I started to understand that God doesn't just love me because he has to, but he loves and likes me. It's his choice. He adores me not by what I accomplished in the day, but because of what he accomplished for me. And the thing that he, he still loves me and he still does things on my behalf and I don't deserve it. But I'm not, I'm not defined by what I don't deserve. I'm defined by Jesus. Guys, knowing that I'm a sinner, guys, it doesn't make me feel less about myself. It actually causes me to adore Jesus even more. Because while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Guys, when we start getting this, 
All these other things that we need to define us, they go by the wayside. And all these things that unite us become the primary things and it changes everything. May we be satisfied in being described this exact same way. A faithful and beloved brother. Ladies, a faithful and beloved sister. Not bringing up your past. Just bringing up your present. And the past actually causes us to appreciate and love what it is that we have and what we will have all because of Jesus. It brings us to freedom. So number one, again, don't go it alone. Number two, just do your part. Friends, we can impact eternity by simply walking with Jesus, not alone, just do our part. That's all we have to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who we are. Jesus, thank you for what you did so we could be who we are, who you name us to be. God, I pray that that would transform and change us. Thank you so much. God, I'm so, I'm so thankful that I can come to a point and go, God, I don't deserve this, but I'm so thankful for it. Yet, God, I still confess insecurities in me. They still, they still show up. I feel like I fight them often, but I'm so thankful, God, that you've given me your word, that we could know, that I could know that I belong to you and nothing will ever change that. I pray that over every one of us, God. We would receive who you define us to be. And that our failures, no, they don't do it. Our mishaps, nope. Our regrets, not even close. God, you define us. And may we listen to what you say about us more than anything or anyone else. God, thank you. You are so good. And we love you. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.